So I saw a poll this week. It was by an organization called YouGov. I um, don't know if you're familiar with it. I had not heard of them. They surveyed um, a group of people in the United Kingdom, uh, uh, grown-ups, uh, adults in the United Kingdom, and they asked them uh, to associate with the word Easter. They said, I'll say Easter, and you say the first word that comes to your mind. And they did. And in that in that poll, according to the way people uh, ranked uh, the, 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 the words that people came up with, Jesus came in number four. That ahead of Jesus on this list of associations was chocolate bunnies. That was number one, which we understand. Number two was bank holidays. That's the British version of a federal holiday. The banks are closed and so is everything else. And number three was hot cross buns. I hope you had a chance to try out a hot cross bun uh, next door. They're not my favorite confection, but they are very easterly. So um, uh, these three things actually outranked Jesus on a poll of what people associate with Easter. And it's actually worse than that because if you subtract people my age and older, if you subtract baby boomers and uh, the silent generation and the builders from, from that poll, if you just look at people who are 50 and below, what you find is that Jesus actually ranks even lower. Jesus actually comes in below the Easter bunny. And what this poll tells me is that Christians have a lot of work to do if we're going to share what we believe about Easter with the world around us. Because for us, Easter is the central central part of our faith. Easter is the heart of Christianity. The world celebrates Christmas with us. And to a limited extent, if peeps in the grocery store count, they celebrate Easter. But Easter is the heart of Christianity. So we have a lot of explaining to do. Now, the story is familiar to many of us. We know how it worked. Uh, the, the women went to the tomb on Easter morning. They went out first thing in the morning, but the tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. There was no body. Now, the reason they went there was not because they were expecting that. They weren't expecting to find an empty tomb. They weren't expecting Jesus to be there. There wasn't a crowd waiting there with cake and ice cream. As soon as he comes out, we'll have a big celebration. Nobody was expecting Jesus to be raised. The disciples weren't even there. They were hiding because they didn't want to get crucified the way Jesus had. But the women came. The reason they came, again, was not to have a celebration. They came because they hadn't been able to complete the funeral preparations on Friday. Jesus died late in the day, and they began the funeral preparations, but they weren't able to complete them. So on Friday, they got them as far as they could. They wrapped his body in a big linen cloth, and then they put it in the tomb. And they said, we'll come back to it after the Sabbath. So Friday night, the Sabbath begins. It lasts all day Saturday. Saturday night, they can't go out in the dark. And, you know, you don't go to graveyards in the dark. Have you ever seen a movie? Come on. <laughs> they didn't go to the graveyard in the dark. They went in the morning. And when they got there, the tomb was empty. And then these two guys show up. It says they had dazzling clothes, but it doesn't explain what that means. To us, dazzling clothes could mean anything. It could mean they've got a really good dry cleaner. It could mean that they've got all-temperature fabric detergent. But probably in New Testament times, what that meant is these are celestial visitors. These are angels of some kind who have come to give the women this message. The angels say, the angels or whoever they are, the men, they say, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? Well, they weren't looking among the dead for someone who's alive. 
We've been over that. They were looking among the dead for somebody who was dead. And if they weren't terrified of these two guys, they would have said so. But instead, they're bowed down and these two guys say, he's not here, he's risen from the dead. And then they say, don't you remember? Remember, he told you about this way back in Galilee months ago before you came down to Jerusalem. He told you that this was going to happen. The Son of Man, that was a nickname Jesus used for himself, must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. So, that's it. That's the explanation, right? That explains why Easter is so important. More important even than chocolate bunnies. Well, it's not really. I mean, it's a prediction. It's a prediction that came true, but it doesn't explain why Easter is important. Around the globe today, we're nearing the end of Easter. But for nearly 24 hours around the globe, Christians have been gathering in mega churches in Korea, in small clandestine house churches in China, and around the globe, in every country, a third of the population of earth, over 2 billion people have gathered to celebrate whatever it was we just heard about. Why do we do this? What made this so important? I mean, okay, Jesus rose, but that was 2,000 years ago. Why do we care today? What makes that so significant for us today? Well, many of you have heard an answer, and it goes something like this. It says, Jesus rose from the grave, and that proves there's life after death, and we can go to heaven when we die. But, you know, it really doesn't prove that. I mean, first of all, it didn't need to prove it. The women already believed that. The disciples who were hiding somewhere else, they already believed it. In the first century, most people in this culture believed in life after death. They believed that they would be raised at the end of time when God brought everything under his control. They believed that God would raise them from the dead. That wasn't in dispute. There was only a minority sect called the Sadducees that didn't believe that. Everybody else did. This would, what, wouldn't have been news to them. But there's other problems. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead doesn't say that we get to. At least not by itself it doesn't. And it doesn't say that he's going to go to heaven. Now we know from other parts of the New Testament that he does. He ascends to his Father's right hand, we heard. But it doesn't answer the question, why do we care? The problem with that explanation, the problem with the explanation that Jesus, when he rose, showed that there was life after death and showed that we get to go to heaven, is that it assumes the goal that God has is to escape death. That God's plan is for us to escape death. That that at some point, we will all be scooted off to heaven and we will escape death. But that's not what the Bible's all about. That's not what the story of God and his people is all about. So let's talk about what it really is. In the Bible, in the Bible, death is not just what happens when your body dies. Death is, is this force. Sometimes it's called sin, sometimes it's called death, but it's this force, this power that is at work bringing the world to ruin. It's the thing in us that makes us 
do what we don't want to do. It's the thing that, that destroys our relationships. It's the thing that, that, you know, we, we might hear in the news that, that a bus, uh, buses full of refugees were car bombed in Syria. And we would say that 112 people died, that death claimed 112 victims. But Christians believe that death is at work in so many ways there. Death is not just claiming victims on the bus, but death is already at work in the person who thinks that a car bomb's a good solution to whatever he's trying to achieve in the world. Death is ruining that person. Death is corrupting them so they believe that car bombs are a solution. Death is what is wrong with the world. Death is what is wrong ultimately with us. Death is what wrecked our first marriage. Death is what destroyed our finances. Death is why we flunked our junior year. Death is why we got the DUI. Death is at work in us, destroying us, destroying our relationships, and ultimately severing us from the people we care about the most. This is what Christians believe about death. And if all Jesus came to do was to take us out of this world, take us to paradise, well, we've been there. That's the story. Go back to the book of Genesis. This world was paradise. But when death was unleashed, it quit being paradise. It became the kind of place characterized by nerve gas and car bombs, by broken marriages, by bankruptcies and failure. Death is at loose in this world, and if all Jesus was going to do is help us escape, there's no telling how long it would take, but sooner or later, we'd wreck heaven too. But Jesus didn't come to escape from death. Jesus didn't come so we could escape from death. Jesus came to defeat death. Now, Luke doesn't tell us about that, but one of Luke's friends, one of his traveling companions, was a man named Paul. And Paul was an evangelist who worked all around the ancient world, all through the Mediterranean area. And Paul wrote a letter to one of the churches that he was familiar with, where he answered some of the the same sort of questions we have. What was Easter all about? And here's how he answered their questions. He said, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, you died. He says, the thing that is in all of us, the thing that, 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 that infection we have, the way that, the way that death has somehow gotten its hooks in us. When Jesus entered the world, death got its hooks in Jesus too. But when Jesus died on the cross, it was defeated by him. And because we are related to Jesus, the same thing that made Jesus susceptible to death makes us susceptible to his defeat of death. He says, Jesus came so that by being one of us, he could take on our brokenness and destroy our brokenness on the cross. But more than that, he says that we could have his new life. 
He says, you have been raised to new life with Christ. And since you have, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. See, our new life is hidden. If you look in the mirror, you still look the same. If you look at TV, you still see the same atrocities. We can't see the new life that is flowing into this world. We have to remember it's there. That can be hard. But we do it all the time. It's breakup. Soon it will be spring. We look at a tree, it looks dead. But we know. We know how this works. We know in just a few days it'll start budding. And before before May's over, the whole place will be as green as can be. We know how this works. It's hidden. We don't see it. But if we set our sights on it, if we set our minds on the reality, we know it's there. And Paul says, do the same thing. He says, Jesus left death gasping on the mat. Death is defeated. Death can no longer win any victories. All death has left is propaganda. And so he says, set your sights, set your minds on the reality of heaven. So what would that look like for you? What would that look like in your life? What would that look like in your parenting, in your relationship with your parents? What would that look like at work or at school? If death has really been defeated, if you are no longer doomed to fail, if you no longer are destined to make a mess of things, what if you can actually have God's life flowing in you and through you into your environment? If your imagination fails there, and I have to admit, I I know what I do wrong, but understanding how I could get past that is hard. If you have trouble envisioning what that might look like, for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is going to look at an actual case study. We're going to look at the story of Peter, this same Peter who peered into the tomb and went away wondering what it all meant. Because we're going to see what it meant in his life. We're going to see what a difference the resurrection made in his life. For the next several weeks, we're going to be studying the story of Peter, not before the resurrection, but afterwards. So I invite you to come back and be part of that conversation as we go through that. But in the meantime, the Easter message, the reason that Easter is the center of our faith, is because Jesus didn't come so we could go to heaven someday. Jesus came so we could have heaven today. Jesus didn't come so we could escape from death. Jesus came because he wanted to defeat death. And at Easter, when he rose, we know he did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Jesus. We give thanks that in a world where what we see is is our own failures and the failures of the people around us, and when, when we look wider, we see these atrocities, we see the things that horrify us on TV and in the news. And Lord, we ask you to help us to remember this, to set our minds on the reality of heaven, the reality that death has been defeated. We are no longer susceptible to anything death can do except lie to us. And so, Lord, we help, we ask you to help us to see the truth, to believe it, and to live into it, to step into the new life we have through Christ our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.